Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm William Hosea, and welcome once again to Bring It On. We are a multiple award-winning show celebrating over 12 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening. I'm Leela Randall. In today's broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African American world of news and local events of interest, all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, each year, Indiana University recognizes outstanding alumni with the Distinguished Alumni Service Award, the highest accolade reserved solely for alumni. The awardees are leaders in their chosen fields. They also make significant contributions benefiting their community, state, nation, or university. Since the award's inception in 1953, more than 300 Indiana University alumni have been so honored. One of this year's five recipients is Dr. Rosalind Cole. Dr. Cole, a 1969 graduate of Indiana University, is a speech and hearing therapist in Indianapolis. After years of working in the South Bend, Indiana school system, Dr. Cole moved to Indianapolis to operate the Auntie Mame daycare facility, which has become one of the city's premier early childhood learning centers. Since her graduation from IU, Dr. Cole has been a staunch supporter of all things IU. She is a charter member of the Neil Marshall Alumni Club and the IU Alumni Association, IUAA. Throughout her lengthy career, Dr. Cole has been dedicated to the growing field of child care and early childhood education. She joins us by phone to reflect back on her life and her recent honor. Dr. Cole, welcome to Bring It On. Are you with us? Dr. Cole, are you with us? I am here. Awesome. I heard a little beep, so I knew you had chimed in. <laughs> Anyhow, um, I'm William Hosea. Thank you. Thank you for uh, coming on and, and uh, sharing your time with us. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into a whole lot of questions, uh, would you mind starting it off and telling us what you want us to know about yourself? Well, first of all, I'd like to clarify, um, you indicated that I was currently a speech therapist in Indianapolis, and that is not true. Um, I began my adult careers with speech and hearing therapy, um, but it was with the South Bend uh, school system. I spent about 30 years in the South Bend area, actually living in Michigan, working in South Bend, but um, that was in the early 60s. I graduated from IU in 1960 and began working in South Bend, but if you recall, the late 60s and early 70s were tumultuous in high schools across the country. And I was called upon to help quite a bit 
um, and monitoring some of the high schools while still a speech therapist with the South Bend schools, um, but very soon um, became an assistant principal at the high school level. So I spent about seven years with South Bend School, High School, LaSalle High School, actually, and then went uh, to the middle school that fed into LaSalle as the principal. And when I retired from South Bend, um, I was principal at Dickinson Middle School in South Bend. So I spent quite a bit of my career um, in the South Bend area. Um, many community committees and working with the youth. We had a performers club there uh, of high school students and just was very active um, in the community at, in South Bend. But I moved to Indianapolis with um, two sets of aging parents, had to move back down here. And um, you may be familiar with Auntie Maine's Child Development Center. Auntie Maine was my mother, and uh, I became director at the center there. So I've worked with adults. I've worked with high school students, middle school students, but... Um, I am now mostly in the early childhood arena and the parenting arena. I do uh, parenting sessions in churches and um, at training for child care providers. I'm a firm believer at this point that in order to change or redirect some of the energies of our youth, we've also need to work with parents. And I'm talking too much already. <laughs> no, Actually, you're, not. you're fine. <laughs> I had another question, though. Um, sure. let, let me see if I heard you correctly. Going back to South Bend, you said mm -hmm. you started off as a speech therapist. Speech and hearing therapist with the South Bend School. And then you said you were called on to monitor, was it the high schools or just schools in general? It was the high schools because that's where... Um, there was a lot of turmoil. Okay. So as a speech therapist, and mm -hmm. then you get called on to monitor um, issues like that within the high school, I kind of get the sense there's, uh, there's a story behind it. There's there something is. that you left out. We, I would love to hear what that was. Well, it's interesting because um, I was an African-American. There were very few African-American administrators with the South Bend system at that time. And on days when they felt there was going to be problems in a particular high school, they would send the, the central office administrators to monitor the halls, to walk the halls, to meet with students, and to work with them. And I did that. Um, not realizing why. At first, I thought it was because uh, the first high school I was called to was one of the schools that I was assigned to as a speech and hearing therapist. 
But then I was called to others, and it was mainly because um, I knew some of the students um, and for what I was doing with them. In fact, in one of the high schools, I diverted a major catastrophe. Um, the um, black children had become, well, they had been jumped on one evening. Um, they had to go under a viaduct walking to the area where they lived, and the white students jumped them. The next day, the students came to school with the idea that they were going to tear up the school. The black students did. And I was there, I was sent there, and when I found out what really was going on, I diverted that. Uh, the children were going to do it at lunch. During the lunchtime, they had it all planned, how they were going to um, disrupt the total school. And I made them promise that if we could have a parent meeting that evening, that they would not do anything until we were able to meet with their parents so their parents understood what was going on and allow their parents to intervene for them. And I guess they trusted me because we were able to pull that off. Um, and it was not easy because the uh, superintendent was against it, but we did it. And it was shortly after that, um, speaking with the superintendent, that he asked me to be um, become principal, assistant principal at the high school. There were no female assistant principals at that time. Um, but the year that I was appointed, there was another uh, black male in another high school that also was appointed. So what, generally, what types of problems were you seeing or any trends while you were monitoring these schools? Well, a lot of tension, just a lot of tension. And unfortunately, we're hearing about tensions that are very similar right now in communities across the country. Okay, that, that was my next question. Exactly. Um, the thing is, it you know, there was just so much fear on the part of the youth that they were saying and doing things that I don't think they normally would have had there not been fear of the other race or fear of what the other race was going to do. And, and I'm talking on both sides um, at this point. So, um, but as I said, when, when I tried to intervene and let the children know that, you know, something could be done, that we could uh, talk through some problems, that we could um, allow them to come to school safely, that, you know, those kinds of things, the children were 
the youth were, were very eager to hear that at that time. Okay. So. Okay. Um, currently, though, you are operating Aunt Mame's daycare facility. No. Nope. Uh, nope, not. not. <laughs> I retired from there, actually, in okay. 2007. Okay. But um, I was director at the um, Auntie Mame's Child Development Center. Okay. And it's a prominent center in Indianapolis. My mother began it in 1969. Um I was an advisor with her um, as she began the program, and um, she developed a wonderful program, um, educational program for uh, black youth. I mean, they had violin lessons, they had dance lessons, they had all kinds of things that now uh, many schools have. but. Auntie Names was a precursor. Was your mother also an educator? My mother was an educator without the degrees, but she definitely was an educator. She began the um, Indiana Licensed Child Care Association. She worked with legislators. She was an advocate for youth. Um, she began the program because she... She said that she didn't want any other young parents to have to raise their children the way she did. My mother was a single young mom working two and three jobs. I was a latchkey kid before it was ever a term. So um, she didn't want other young mothers to have to do that. And that's why she began in 1969. You, there are several, is, aren't there several um, anti-MAME uh, centers in Indianapolis right now? There is only one, only one. right okay. now. There were two. Okay. Um, but um, the year she retired, that one was, one. the, uh, the second one was closed. So what did you, I know what you're saying that she brought to the center. What did you bring to the center? And I know a lot of people that um, ended up having, you know, children and they then they don't know what to do and they say, oh, I'm going to open a daycare. Can you tell us some of the things that went into um, running this daycare and how your daycare benefited maybe in different ways than some of the other ones where they just actually just babysit? Well, no. It definitely was not a babysitting situation, and one of the things was um, that, that um, my mother saw to, although it was done from the outside, and that was training the, the staff, but when I became a part of it, um, I actually uh, started what we called the Adult Development Institute, and it was an arm of Auntie Mames. And it was mainly to train early childhood providers, and we actually um, prepped them and, and trained them for national certification. And I'm still involved with um, the national certification. I still teach um, early childhood providers, but it all, I began that at Auntie Names. So um, our staff, 
was one of the first ones in the area that really had um, nationally certified uh, early childhood providers. We set, and you know, I became quite a an advocate of that uh, to make sure that we weren't just babysitting and that the people involved in early childhood understood that they weren't just babysitters. Um, and I advocated with the state um, all over uh, with legislators. We finally got it so that it is uh, actually a requirement now for licensed child care centers in Indiana. Now, is it true that is it your um, daycare, is it a 24-hour facility? Uh, no, it's okay. not a 24-hour. Okay. No. I, I used to live in Indianapolis, and I, I, when I was looking for daycare, I thought I heard that yours might have been a 24-hour daycare facility. So I was just no, wondering. I, I'm all, no, no okay. it's not. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, it hasn't been. That doesn't mean that we haven't considered it, okay. you know, okay. that it wasn't considered. Okay. Doc, Dr. Cole, I want to go back uh, just mm -hmm. one more time to your days in South Bend. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> my question is, you said while you were working in the school system that there was a lot of tension. I'm assuming you meant race, racial tension among the students. Mm -hmm. So especially Back in the late 60s okay. and early 70s. Especially regarding the incident that you mentioned, why do you think the students trusted you? What is it that you were able to do to win their trust? And then considering the tension that's in the schools today, do you think that approach would work currently? I don't know, and that's the reason why I said it worked then. Mm -hmm. um, I think if the students really trusted someone to pull their parents into it, to pull their... The, the problem now is there are fewer parents, African-American parents, really involved with schools. You know, I mean, there's never been strong involvement of African-American families. But if... You know, back in those days, I, I, I will say, if you called a parent, they became involved. And today I'm not real sure that still works. Um, and that's the reason why I'm very um, passionate about working with parents right now. Um, we've, we've, we have a society now that really looks inward there you know the adults of today the young adults of today uh, are thinking more about what is going to be good for them and what is appropriate for them it's not always what's appropriate for everybody or what's appropriate for family members and especially children. Uh, we're, we're a very busy society, and we get so wrapped up in our own lives that we forget how much we're influencing 
the children in our lives. And I think it's important for that um, to be brought to the to the forefront. That's the reason why I question whether what I did back in you know back in '69 or '70 whether that would really work today. Well, you know, as as much as I would uh, actually love to continue. I mean, I have several more questions about your experience <laughs> in South Bend, but we got to bring it into the 21st century. Okay. <laughs> you also volunteered your services uh, with the Neil Marshall Alumni Club. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of work did you do uh, in that organization? Well, in that organization, I was one of the charter members, and that's, it was very important to me once we had our very first reunion. Um, it was very important to me that that organization thrive, so I was very eager to become a part of it. Um, I was a charter member, um, and I also represented Neil Marshall on the IU um, alumni board. Uh, and that was important, I think, because the um, Neil Marshall Club, I um, wasn't involved in the inner workings of its establishment, uh, but I was present, <laughs> very definitely present. It was not easy to form that organization. That organization was done Uh, very meticulously. It was legal. We found every legal tool that could be found uh, to establish an alumni club. And we established it in a way um, that it, it, it could flourish. And it made the Alumni Association really take a good look even at their total organization. A lot of rules and, and procedures were changed um, once we became an alumni club. So, um, Okay, I'm, I'm kind of curious now. Why did you emphasize the legali- legality in forming that organization? What, was there some well, kind of special legal challenge? I mean, challenge? we didn't just uh, become a group. <laughs> We wanted to be a viable part of the of the of the uh, university um, and a viable part of the alumni association, um, but we wanted to do it in a way that still left um, our initiatives uh, free for us to decide on what we were doing, as opposed to the alumni association making those decisions so it was it was formed in a way that allowed us to operate um, as a club or an arm of the association but it was not totally um, we didn't have to live under all of the uh, association's rules and policies 
What was missing from the IU Alumni Association that made your group of students at the time decide that you needed a Neil Marshall? And could you please tell um, everyone, our audience, what Neil Marshall actually stands for? Sure. Neil Marshall is um, an alumni club. It was not students. Okay. Um, it was alumni, and it was begun by George. I became involved with a letter from George Telefero, um, indicating that he'd been to some funerals and um, met a lot of, you know, old uh, college friends and was tired of meeting them that way and decided, you know, uh, maybe we ought to just get together. And we ended up that very first time, I believe, with over 200 that showed up for that first reunion. And after that, we decided we should stay together and form a group. One, um, when we got together, we began to share many of the um, experiences that we had had on campus, and some of them were traumatic at the time. But um, we decided, you know, that it was time for us to, to stay together. And, of course, the... One, uh, the uh, name, Neil Marshall, Yeah. Uh, we came to that with um, the first African-American male, Marcellus Neal, and the first African-American female. Uh, all of a sudden, I can't remember her first name. Uh, Marshall, Frances Marshall, and she is now, uh, she was later Eagleson. But we were, we named the organization after the first two uh, graduates of IU. I wonder how many people know that. That's the first time I've heard that. Did you know that, Lena? Really? I, knew, I knew that. That's why I asked because I don't. I didn't think the listening audience actually knew where um, the, oh. Neil, the Neil Marshall came. Yeah, came I had from. no clue. I just assumed that there was a person named Neil Marshall. No, no, I'm a member of the Neil Marshall. Um, alumni association, so I knew. So you cheated. What? I didn't cheat. I just wanted the audience to know what it meant okay. as well. Okay. okay. Well, well let, let me ask you another question about another organization that you put. Actually, I'm not going to ask the question because uh, out of respect for the organization, I'm going to turn it over to your sorority sister, Leela, because I know I'll screw up the name if I try it. So oh, he, go he, ahead, Leela. I don't know why he has a problem with Delta Sigma Theta sorority. Is there anything complicated uh, no, no, about that? See, Delta I'm looking Sigma at something. There's more to it than that. Yeah, so um, I'm not really sure why he has a question, but you're you're a very active me uh, member of our sorority, and I guess you want to tell us a little bit about what you do and how you um, – what you well, do for at this point, I'm a Delta Deer, of Delta course. Deer, yes. I've been a, a member for an awful long time. But I was made on um, campus um, at Gamma New Chapter um, in 1958, okay. so a couple of years ago. Okay. <laughs> um, when I moved to South Bend, I um, joined some other ladies in reestablishing the South Bend chapter of um, Delta Sigma Theta and actually was president uh, for a little bit up there. Uh, but I have 
since I've been back in Indianapolis, and I've been back here for quite a while, I am active with the Indianapolis alumni uh, chapter, and um, as I said, I'm adult a deer, but I keep involved um, with the organization, so um, a lot of volunteering and everything. We have uh, so many projects um, and um, involvement in our communities all over the, the world, actually. So um, it is a very important uh, part of my life right now. And, of course, we got the what award this this um, weekend from the mayor of Bloomington? Um, oh, our 70th anniversary? Right. He gave yes. us the... Um, he gave us a proclamation. There was a proclamation. There was a proclamation, yeah. and we, he determined that this last weekend, at, during our 70th anniversary, mm-hmm. we, um, that, that's our weekend. Right. Because we, right. Uh, we get back and to And we were graced with one of our founders. Yes, we were. Yes. Yes, we were. Oh, that was really quite a treat this yes, weekend. Now, that was separate and apart from the Distinguished Alumni Service Award, though, correct? Oh, yeah. Exactly. Okay. It was a busy weekend. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely a busy weekend for me. On Thursday night, I received the um, Distinguished Alumni Service Award. And um, I've been on numerous committees um, and the alumni board, um, you know, through the years. So um, I've served quite a bit there. So were you surprised when you were informed that yes. you would be receiving the uh, very much so, um, very much so, but very very pleased. I you know I know I've done a few things, but you don't really realize what you've done sometimes until somebody starts putting it all together. Um, I don't. I'm not one of those people who speaks a lot about what I do or how much I do or whatever. So you're not Donald Trump, is what you're saying? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, but you know, I've I've touched some lives. I know. In fact, this weekend while I was down there, one of our um, sorority sisters. Um, introduced me to her husband, who ended up being one of my youth that I worked with in South Bend with Performers Club. And he started talking about all the things he's done that were a result of working with me. And, you know, that, that says it all. That was almost as exciting as getting the award, but the award was really something. I mean, and I took in the whole weekend. I I rode in the parade and everything, so it was quite an exciting weekend for me. Did you remember the gentleman, that, uh, yes, your, your friend's husband? Yes, I did, yes. Okay. So out of all of the work that you've done, all of the organizations that you've interacted with over the years, um, which one do you think, uh, and, and I'm uh, I'm not going to ask you to compare one to the other, but one was more impactful than the rest of them. Am I correct? Well. 
or, or that something was, that you they did? All were pretty much impactful, but I came to Indiana University. Indiana University definitely um, had a big impact on me, and that's my reasoning for continuing uh, to be a part of the Alumni Association and Neil Marshall. Um, it had a very um, big impact on my life. I entered Indiana University at a time when I was really in transition as an individual. Um, I was a very, might as well say, bad child. I was a difficult youngster. I was suspended from school, expelled from school. Wow. All kinds. Of, oh, yes. I was terrible. Um, but at age 13, I laid on a deathbed. But, you know, God works in mysterious ways because I was in a hospital for two, almost two years, and when I came out, I was a totally different person. I looked at life differently. And I'm a firm believer that God works in mysterious ways, but it's all for good. I would not be Dr. Cole today if I had not had that intervention at age 13. So it was not um, any particular work or organization that uh, <laughs> had that transformative effect on your life. It was a near-death experience. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And today you said you continue to work with uh, children. Yes. Do you work with special needs children? Yes, all 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 children. Um, I especially I I work more directly now with parents and teachers and early childhood providers, as opposed to actually working with the children now. Um, and and you know I I do a lot of training and working with parents, and consulting with parents. But my background is special education, so. I have a special um, passion uh, for special needs children, but I don't work directly with the children. You know, that uh, kind of brought something to mind uh, about a situation that I dealt with here very recently. But compared to how um, teachers and staff at schools dealt with uh, problems back back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that they are less tolerant and uh, are more willing uh, or eager to administer discipline, uh, some form of discipline, than to try and resolve the problem in-house? I, I would say they're much less tolerant yeah. um, and much less really understanding. What about capable? I would say just not knowledgeable enough or compassionate or passionate enough to to be tolerant, if you're understanding what I'm saying. In other words, 
they're not passionate enough about what they do in order to be patient, to give children room to grow, and to help guide that growth. We tend in these days, especially parents, but teachers are in that same category, many teachers, I should say. Now, please don't get me wrong. I know there are some really good teachers around. You know that. Of course. The unfortunate thing is there are fewer and fewer um, of those really good teachers who are passionate about what they do and passionate about the children they work with. And that's important because when you're not passionate about it, you're there for the job or you're there to get something done today um, as opposed to really helping children and guiding children. Well, Dr. Cole, we are just about out of time, but I would like to give you the opportunity to leave us with something, anything that that you want us to know, maybe something that we have not discussed yet. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as I said, to the, in these days, um, recently, most of my work is with young children. And if there are any young parents out there listening, please pay attention to your children. Um, They are like sponges. They absorb everything you do and say. And they will repeat it. So be very, very vigilant about what you expose them to and help guide them in what they are exposed to. You know, Dr. Cole, I was going to say the same thing. (laughs) Anyhow, um, so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up, but congratulations uh, once again on receiving the Distinguished Alumni Service Award, and maybe we can uh, revisit this uh, subject of the interview later on at some point in the future. That sounds fine. I've appreciated it, and I've enjoyed it. Likewise. Thank you very much. Okay. Our thanks to Dr. Rosalind Cole for joining us to reflect back on her life and her recent honor, the Indiana University Distinguished Alumni Service Award, the highest accolade reserved solely for alumni of IU. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org.
Support for WFHB comes from Bloom Magazine. The October issue features Voices of Recovery, eight stories of life after addiction by citizens of Bloomington who are leading productive, successful lives. For more information, visit magbloom.com. And support for WFHB also comes from the Baha'is of Bloomington, celebrating the 200th birthday of Baha'u'llah, founder of the Baha'i Faith, Sunday, October 22nd, 1 to 5 p.m. at the Monroe County Public Library Auditorium, featuring music, family-friendly activities, and refreshments open to all. More information is available at 812-331-1863. just heard Blessed and Highly Favored 
by the Clark Sisters. The Clark Sisters are a gospel vocal group consisting of five sisters, Jackie Clark Grissom, Denise Clark Bradford, Ebony Twinkie Clark Terrell, Dorinda Clark Cole, and Karen Clark Sheard. The Clark Sisters are the daughters of gospel music musician and choral director Maddie Moss Clark. They're credited for helping to bring gospel music to the mainstream and are considered as pioneers of contemporary gospel. That sounded more like traditional gospel. Yeah, it did. Anyhow, to keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you are invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB, or you can always visit the WFHB News website at WFHB.org slash news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Leela Randall. I'm William Hosea. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. It's time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Leela Randall. I'm still William Hosea. Are you still? Really? Um... <laughs> Student suspended for sitting through Pledge of Allegiance sues her high school. The Hill writes that a Texas high school student who was suspended for sitting during the Pledge of Allegiance is suing her school, saying it violated her civil rights. India Landry began protesting the pledge last year, her attorney said, sitting down some 200 times, according to Houston's Channel 2 News. But when Landry was sent to her principal's office on October the 2nd for texting in class, she refused to stand for the pledge as it played over the intercom and the principal sent her home, said Landry's attorney, Randall Kellinan. The school secretary said, this ain't the NFL, and the principal said, you have to stand. And she said, no, I do not have to stand. And she was instantaneously kicked out of school. Kellinan told Channel 2, they told her she could not come back until she stood for the pledge. Landry was suspended from Winfern High School for four days before the principal changed her mind and said Landry did not have to stand for the pledge. The following day, Landry's mother filed a federal civil rights lawsuit against her daughter's school district and principal. Protests like Landry's have been gaining traction at high schools across the nation as the NFL protests during the national anthem continue to make headlines. At another Texas high school, two football players were kicked off their team for kneeling during the anthem. Students have a First Amendment right to speak or not to speak, and choosing to stand for the pledge is a form of expression so the government cannot force you to express yourself when you don't want to, Callanan said. The high school released a statement saying that it has not been served with a lawsuit yet and confirmed that Landry is currently attending classes. President Trump and Vice President Pence have waded deep into the issue. And on Tuesday, the White House applauded the NFL's reported rule change to force players to stand. You know, I cannot wait to see how this is going to play out in the courts. And... Honestly, I, I, I just don't see how 
it can go in any way other than to favor the student and the protests? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think um, the message is getting muddled, you know, and I, and I, I want this to go to the Supreme Court. Oh, well, see, they're trying to muddle the message. That's yeah. the thing. They're trying to change the argument and make right. it a false argument. They're trying to shape the narrative, right. but it's not going to work because now, in addition to the high school students I read over the weekend, there was a soccer team in Germany. Right. The, entire, the entire team uh, knelt during their own national anthem to protest in support of the uh, players over here. Yeah. Okay. Dove comes under fire for racist ad campaign. I, I guess this is going to be a little bit difficult, and I guess I'll try to explain. Um, whatever their intentions were, this ad was not carefully thought through. And that seems like that's a common theme with some of the advertisers nowadays. I think they probably need a little bit more diversity on their um, staff. Some, uh, someone at Dove thought it was a great idea to run an ad campaign which portrays a black woman turning white after using one of their products. Unsurprisingly, the advert, diver, the advert diver, dis, deservedly re, um, received backlash on social media. After an angry response from Twitter users, Dove responded with an apology saying they missed the mark. But nobody bought their excuse. So if you can think about this, there was a black girl and she had a T-shirt on. OK. And when she raised up her T-shirt, there appeared to be a white woman. And the ad was for one of their deodorants. And I guess the message was once you put their deodorant on, all of a sudden, then um, it would be um, there would be nothing showing under your arm but what they portrayed was then it would be you know not necessarily white but you would be um, clear okay I think that was the message so it for the clear effect of deodorant they portray you do this and you take off your shirt and voila then there was this white person so well it, <laughs> here's another thing I also read a different article that said okay. there was a third woman in that advertisement. There was. An Asian woman. There was so an Asian woman. If there was another woman in that advertisement, mm -hmm. then I, I'm I'm not exactly sure how that could be perceived as racist. Uh, maybe I'm missing something. And I'm sure when I get home tonight, somebody's going to call my house or send me an email <laughs> and let me know, uh, one of my friends. But right now, I'm, I'm not seeing it. You're not really feeling it? No. Um, I'm, I'm feeling it because why is it that when she raised up her arms, it was white. Why couldn't she just been? Um, they could have. She could have raised up her arms, and then they would have been clear under her arm. Why did it have to be replaced with a, a Caucasian female? So, if there was an Asian woman following the white, the white uh, woman, then what does that say? How does that fit into the uh, pure white uh, 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 suggestion? Um, I, but you know what? They didn't have like a Caucasian coming after the Asian. I just think the whole thing was like a, a missed message. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Anyhow. <laughs> this was a look at African-American headlines from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues, such as the one of the as the Dove commercial. Okay. Um, send us your comments to bring it on at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Leela Randall. I'm William Hosea. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedica dedicated to the African-American community.
here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org. It's now time to bring you the events and interests in the black community for Bring It On. I'm Leela Randall. I'm William Hosea. And uh, first up, the Monroe County Branch NAACP Freedom Fund Banquet is scheduled for this Saturday, Sat October 21st, 2017, at the Monroe County Convention Center, um, 302 South College Avenue, right here in Bloomington. Tickets are $50, $25 for students. And the keynote speaker is Dr. Alicia Lola Jones, Ph.D. Um, Potpourri of the Arts and the African-American Tradition presented by the African-American Art Institute. The African-American Art Institute proudly presents the annual Potpourri of the Arts. Founded in 1993, the Potpourri's purpose is to embody the spirit of African-American performances via its three ensembles, the African-American Dance Company, the African-American Choral Ensemble, and the IU Soul Review. Date is for Saturday, November 11th, at um, 8 p.m. The prices are $30 for the general public, $15 for the students and children. IU students is $15. Um, groups of 10 or more are eligible for a group rate of $10. For more information, call the IU Auditorium book, um, box office at 812-855-1103 or email... Um, the African American Arts Institute. Um, this is, you know, what this does. This funds a lot of the things they're traveling and things that they're doing. So it's, it's, it's a fundraiser, oh, and yeah? you get and you get okay. a chance to see all of them in one setting. And you no. get entertained. And you get entertained from. Um, I think I forgot to mention that the tickets for the NAACP Freedom Fund banquet are available at the Buskirk Chumley uh, Theater box office, either in person or online. The um, Crestmont Boys and Girls Club will host a public open house on Saturday, October 28th at the New Boys and Girls Club in Crestmont. The doors open at 1111 West 12th Street from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And this will be the first time. The club expects to serve 60 kids on day one. RSVP is not required and all are welcome. The Boys and Girls Club would like to thank the 300-plus community members who donated to the Big Futures Capital Campaign in making the event possible. Boys and Girls Club administrators and staff are looking forward to exciting things happening for kids in our community and invite you to come see for yourself. For more information, visit the Boys and Girls Club on the web at bgcbloomington.org. Have you seen the new facility? No, I oh, haven't. It's, it's huge. It's nice. Oh, really? All I know is I was over at Girls Inc. cleaning up the um, floors and yeah, I'm gonna be, doing uh, stuff like that because that's what we do as Deltas. I'm going to take a tour on Thursday. Oh, I'll have to go over there. And talking about Deltas, free mentoring programs. Delta Academy and Delta Gems are free mentoring programs for young African-American ladies ages 11 through 18 sponsored by the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated Bloomington Alumni Chapter. The kickoff event was held on September 30th. For more information about the Delta Academy and Delta Gems, email deltaacademybac at gmail.com. And lastly, Bethel AME Church will host free homework help every Wednesday from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Students will receive tutoring from IU graduate and professional students. 
The church address is 302 North Rogers Street. For more information, email BethelHomeworkHelp at gmail.com. And if you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send that info, info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, you can contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our thanks to Dr. Rosalind Cole for joining us to reflect back on her life and her recent honor, the Indiana University Distinguished Alumni Service Award, the highest accolade reserved solely for alumni of IU. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our news editor is Michael Nala. Our board engineer is Jennifer Brooks and Kirsten Payton. Our original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Leela Randall. Tune in next Monday, October 23rd at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.